0: We'll praise the Lord. Isn't it great to know Jesus today? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 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 What an outstanding service. In fact, they've all been outstanding lately. I was just commenting to our worship team last night you know, how sometimes you feel like you're challenged by certain circumstances. You feel like you've made progress. We had a beautiful music team when Brother Tim Smith was here and Prince was our keyboard player and everything. We had a great team. It was good sound. And we had some great services. But, you know, the Lord took them and moved them on. They're not here anymore. Amen. But you know what? Our services have been more outstanding than they've ever been. The worship has been more outstanding than it's ever been. People are getting the Holy Ghost this year like we haven't seen in years and years and years. If Tim Smith was still here, we would never have gotten Matthew. We would never discovered him and his talent. So that's a blessing. If Prince was still here on the keyboards, I never would have figured out how to play songs in D-flat, but I can now. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. So God is good. And, and these, these setbacks that seem to be setbacks and challenges are just really God's way of of pushing us forward, of bringing out new things, and of bringing us to new places that we have never been before. Amen. So I'm excited about the potential that is here in the house of God. Aren't you excited about the potential in your life? There's great potential in your life. Amen. And God wants to unlock the door of all those potentials. That song again today, wow. Wow. I'm just amazed. At the last couple of sermons that I'm going to preach, the specials that confirm the word. That song is a direct confirmation of what I want to bring to you today. I'm reading from the uh, Gospel of John, the 18th chapter, verses one and two. John 18:1 and two. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted there with his disciples. Let's pray tonight, today. In Jesus' name, we ask, God, that you would undertake now. Bless and anoint the word, God. I know that you want to speak to somebody today. I know you want to reach a heart, and maybe two or three, God. And I pray, Lord, God, that you would help me to unburden my soul and to give these people what you've given me to speak. In Jesus' name, we pray in the name of the Lord. Amen. Let the church say amen. 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 Before you're seated, make sure you greet at least three to five people. And isn't it wonderful to have Peter Dudley here with his beautiful family today? Okay. And, and, and uh, the irony of it that not just two days ago, I was thinking about Peter and wondering how he was doing and thinking we haven't seen him in quite some time. And all of a sudden, that was two days ago, and all of a sudden, he comes in walking through the door of the building. I guess I need to do some thinking more often. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So this morning I want to talk to you about the Gethsemane of God, the Gethsemane of God. Friday night, an unspeakable tragedy occurred in Orlando. A young rising star, Christina Grimmie, who came to fame as a competitor on The Voice, season six, The Voice, who upon the rendition of the song that brought her fame, caused all four judges to spin around in their chair as if to see where this wonderful talent was coming from. And so she was discovered and, and uh, has sold over 900,000 copies of songs in that short, brief career in span. But tragically was gunned down following her concert in the midst of a crowd of adoring fans. This... Irrepressible young woman of 22 years of age went into eternity in the blink of an eye. And one wonders why. That's a question that's been asked over and over again every day across the nation and around the world. Why? Why? Motives unknown. No clear reason for this to have happened. This did not occur at the hand of an enemy. This was probably someone who liked her so much he couldn't allow her to live any longer. One thing is certain, and that is tomorrow is uncertain. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know, hallelujah. may not realize it, but there were two gardens in the life of Jesus Christ, two very important points. We might even see them as the parentheses around the life, ministry life of Jesus Christ. And there were many mountains in between, but I want to state that there would have been no great success here in the Garden of Gethsemane had it not been for a victory won in another garden at another time and in another place. Had not Jesus turned to the wilderness, the great garden of the outdoors, the great garden of life and the wilderness, had he not gone there and lingered, not one day, not two, not a week, Not 10 days, but 40 days and nights in the wilderness in a time of prayer and of fasting, wrestling with some deeply personal temptations in that valley of testing. Had he not gone there and struggled there and answered certain questions there that were fundamental? These were fundamental questions. Why were they fundamental? Because the Bible tells us in James that we are tempted and we are tested of three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the the eye, and the pride of life. That all temptations come from these three areas. And it was here in the wilderness that Jesus would face temptations of the flesh when enticed and induced. Turn the stone into bread because you're hungry. Fill your belly. Here, look at all the kingdoms of the world and all of its wealth. I will give all of it to you if you will bow down and worship me, so said Satan. And finally, if you really are who you think you are, if you really are the one you say you are, take this dare. I dare you to cast yourself down from this eminence, this high place, to see whether or not God will come and save you. These Questions are human questions. These are human emotions. These are human things. When we are faced with ourselves and with our weakness, you can be sure that the temptations and tests will fall under one uh, or several of these categories, Uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life. When we go astray, it is usually because of these things. And uh, these are questions that Jesus must ask. Have answered, he must have had to answer, or or how would he have ever passed the final test of Gethsemane? That great test that answers the question, Not my will, but thine be done. Even unto death, not my will, but thine be done. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22. Verses 39, verse 39, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And when he was at that place, he said unto them, pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Jesus had already gone to one garden and prayed that prayer. But his disciples had never seen that garden. They had never been to the first garden. And still they were being invited to the final garden. The Gethsemane Garden. The garden of the ultimate testing. So he says, pray that you enter not into temptation. And when he was withdrawn, withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, he kneeled down and he prayed and he said, Father, if it be... If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared as an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. He said unto them, why sleep ye, rise and pray, lest you enter enter into temptation. How easy it is for we humans when confronted with difficulties, questions that we cannot find an answer to, irresolvable dilemmas, unsolvable problems, uncertain futures, difficult tests, terrible trials, tragic news, insurmountable financial difficulty and despair. Not knowing where to turn, we turn to sorrow. We turn to sleep. We don't turn to pray. If you've ever been tested to the point where it seemed like there was really no hope, your faith could not rise to the occasion, and you were not inspired to run to the prayer closet, but so wearied by the test that you ran to the bedroom to fall asleep for sorrow. People in depressed states often sleep a lot, right? They get depressed and they sleep for sorrow or depression, difficulty. They don't know what else to do, so they just go somewhere and turn life off, turn it off. If it isn't sleep, people will often resort to drugs or alcohol or some other chemical form or substance to try to deaden what is going on inside of them. And this is speaking of moments of the greatest stress and duress in our life of the greatest pressure that comes our way. And it was to this garden that Jesus came. This garden, why a garden? It was a place of dying. It was a place of surrender. It was a place of sadly loss. It was a place of great agony, of great sorrow, of great heaviness of spirit, and yet a a garden. We don't often think of gardens, beautiful places, as places where we go in times of of difficulty and struggle as these places are. We'd rather think of a darkened corner somewhere to go and run and hide a hole in the ground to dig ourselves into rather than the beautiful place of a garden. But God has a beautiful place for us in our life where he wishes to work things out that are not beautiful. The things are not beautiful. Amen. But the place is beautiful because there's going to be something grand and great that is going to come out of that. There's going to be a rising that's going to come out of that. There's going to be a newness. There's going to be a hope. There's going to be something that will grow from that that would not have seen the light of day otherwise. So it was to this place. It needed to be a garden. It was a garden known By Judas, Judas knew where this place was too. The devil knows where that garden is. The devil would like to take that garden and make it a cemetery, make it an ugly place. The devil would have us to avoid the garden. The devil would have us to pass it by. Not that garden, God. Not that garden. Don't take me there. Amen. The devil knows where that garden is. And you can be sure that he wants to meet you there with that discouragement, with that heaviness of spirit, with that sorrow. Hallelujah. Oh, but we must go to that garden, whether we want to go there or not. We must go to that Gethsemane of God in our life. It's a Gethsemane of God that he has planted there. Amen. And it is a place for us to learn and to grow and to become something different we have ever been or known before. As Nan Pammer wrote in, she wrote and she said, In the dark of the night, on the damp, cold ground of a garden, the Lord of glory went to war with His flesh, His will, and His purpose in prayer. The God-man, Jesus Christ, was wrestling for strength to lay down His life for the sins of the whole world. And so, in this process, we see the bullet points here. He withdrew from others. There is a time and a place where the society of others will not suffice. You cannot enter into the deep questions of life and get the answers while in the society of others. There are occasions where others cannot say anything to you that is appropriate or meaningful. How do we say things to people? How cliché becomes the things that we say because we don't know what to say. Like, I'm sorry for your loss. 20 or 30 years ago, no one ever heard anyone say that, but suddenly it has become a cliché. When we don't know what else to say to someone, we say something like that. We'll talk to people and we'll say things, amen, well, and and and. But we've never been where they are. We don't understand what's going on in their heart or their mind. We don't know how they're feeling in their body or their mind. We don't know what their tomorrow is holding. We don't know the silent struggle that they have within themselves, the war that they are even now fighting in themselves for their very own faith to hold on to faith and to believe because they are in a garden. Amen. They're in a garden. Now, I want to tell you, Amen. don't go to the Garden of Gethsemane if you have not been to the Garden of the Wilderness first. Amen. It is there that you must go first and answer the the primitive questions of Christianity. The primitive questions like, what will I do when something is attractive to my flesh and I want it or to my eyes? Or what will I do uh, 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 in, in response to situations where I feel my pride or my value in myself is being challenged. Oh, hallelujah. Until we have taken care of some of those primary questions, we're never going to be able to ultimately answer the question of, I know who holds my tomorrow, even though I don't know what tomorrow holds. He withdrew from others. He got alone with God. He knew he knew, as we need to know, that there is a time when nothing but prayer will be the answer, when nothing but prayer will be the solution, but when nothing but prayer can be the remedy, when nothing but prayer can be the resolve, when nothing but prayer can be the point of turn, when there is nothing anyone can say there is no, there is no uh Research we can do. There is no reference material that can feed us or give us information or tell us how to deal with or cope with a situation when there is nothing that can be done except to kneel in prayer. I'm not talking about a lay me down to sleep prayer, but I'm talking about an agony. I'm talking about a withdrawal. I'm talking about a firm iron hold grip on God. I'm talking about sweating as it were great drops of blood. I'm talking about being very heavy in spirit and exceedingly sorrowful. I'm talking about falling down on your face prayer as Jesus did. Those were the bullet points of his Gethsemane of God. Hallelujah. Where he met and met himself and met the question with the answer. With the answer. Hard to imagine what Jesus was going through in that moment difficult difficult to imagine to think what it was like but you could put yourself in that place if you've ever been faced with a situation that is terrible beyond imagination if the doctors have told you you have six months to live you will be in such a situation if you've ever been arrested and you're gonna to go to jail and spend time in jail, you will be in such a situation knowing that on tomorrow you're gonna to go to court. They're gonna put you in handcuffs. They're gonna lead you away in chains and you're gonna be behind bars for X amount of time. You will be in that situation. If you've ever been to a point in your life where suicide, where taking your own life seemed the only reasonable option And we are facing in America today an epidemic of suicides that has not been as pronounced since the Great Depression. Twice this week, I heard on the news and read elsewhere in an AARP editorial, twice this week I was confronted with statistics that I was not aware of that there is a Tremendous epidemic of suicides. And you know who it's hitting the most? It's hitting boomers and millennials. Boomers and millennials. The 55 and older group who have been unemployed and are unemployable. And the millennials who have no hope for a tomorrow cannot believe the economy is so terrible, despite what all the media wants to say and paint. Oh, it's It's great. It's getting better. The reality underneath the surface is that things are not good in America and they are not getting better. And people don't have any hope anymore and they are just offing themselves. If you've ever been to that point where you are ready to do the deed, you are in such a place of deep questions. This was... A garden where he knew what was going to happen tomorrow. He knew what was going to happen. But we don't always know what's going to happen tomorrow, do we? Most days we live, most days we pray without regard for the future. We're not really thinking about the future. We're just presuming upon our futures. Taking for granted that we have a future, a tomorrow. We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We may think we do. We may have a plan and we may say to ourselves, tomorrow I'm going to go here and I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna do this and that. You may have some appointments for tomorrow. You may have a schedule for tomorrow, but you don't know what's going to happen when you get behind the wheel of your car and head down the highway. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Whether or not in the twinkling of an eye, you will face God and be in eternity and be gone forever. You just don't know. Nothing is certain about tomorrow. There are no guarantees. You have a schedule. You have a hope. You have a dream. But most of the time, we don't even really think about what we're going to do tomorrow, much less what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus knew what tomorrow would bring. He knew what tomorrow would bring. He had the future before him. He knew what it was. He was was preparing himself for a known outcome that must happen. This must happen. If you've ever been in a place where you didn't want to do something, but yet you knew you had to do it. You had to go to court, and there was no question about that. You had to go. You had to show up. Amen. And you weren't gonna like it, but you just had to do it. Or, or maybe it's you have to go to the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. But you gotta do it. Amen. You gotta go, and you gotta sit there, and you gotta go through that. And we have these anxieties about things in our life, do we not? We have these anxieties. And the only way that we can really deal with it is just to put on this garment, this coat of mind, of mental mindset that says, I'm just going to live one hour at a time, one minute at a time, one day at a time. I'm just doing it one hour at a time. And slowly but surely, here we are. Now we're at the appointment, we walk in the office. Amen. We sit down in the chair. The drill comes out. The Novocaine comes out. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. And an hour and a half later, we get up, and it's over, and things are going to be better. And oh, hallelujah, we hope it's going to be better. (laughs) But there are things you just have to go through. You have to go through it. You don't know what. Amen. You don't want to deal with it, but you have to. Now, Philippians 1, 12, and 13, the Contemporary English Version says, My dear friends, I want you to know that what has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. The Roman guards and all the others know that I am here in jail because I serve Christ. Paul speaking to the church. I want to say to you this morning, and I believe this is true, that God has a plan for your trial. God has a plan for your trial. And and there are times we're in trials and we say, God, why? What is your plan? What is it you're trying to tell me? What are you trying to say to me? Speak to me, Lord. Tell me, just say something. Say something. Leonard Ravenhill says in his book, Revival, Pray, he says that when God wanted to get a man, he had to get a woman first. And so such was the case with Hannah. W.F. Biederhoff Beter, said, if Hannah's prayer for a son had been answered at the time she set for herself, the nation might never have known the mighty man of God that it found in Samuel." You know the story of Hannah, we refer to that often when we do dedications. Hannah shared a home, she shared a husband, but she had no share in children. She had none of her own to share. And years went by. And though she was the beloved of her husband, Elkanah, her competitor in her sister wife, Penina, was producing children to her honor and to Hannah's shame, Hannah's agony and shame and defeat confronted her every morning when those children rose, Penina's children rose and ran around the house. <coughs> every time they came in with a skinned knee or a bruise or crying or tattletelling on one another or whatever it was, Hannah's shame confronted her again. Her mother's heart led to mother's arms aching, aching to know the cradling of a beloved child of her own. Though she had comforted and cared and helped others, she had none of her own. And there is something about it. It is just not the same. I don't care what you say. It is just not the same when it is not your biological child even if it is your biological child i had two daughters before i had a son and it wasn't the same when i had a son it was different than when it was when i had daughters i love my daughters they love me amen but not having had a boy when that boy finally came there was something different about him that he was my son So she wanted a child. And she could have prayed for any child. Any child will do, God, I'll take anything. Just, I don't care what sex it is, just give me one. Whatever. I need a baby. (laughs) That's what happens not too long after the wedding ring goes on, you know. First to talk about it and say, "Well, we don't want to have any children for you know years. We're going to have. We're going to wait for years and years. We're not going to have any children. All, all of a sudden, that that wedding ring goes on. And it too long for you start here. I want a baby. I want a baby. <laughs> that's life. That's nature. Amen. That's that's the way it should be. Hallelujah. That's the way it should be." But Hannah didn't just pray for any child. She asked for a man child. Give me a man child. If Hannah was going to get an answer from God, she wasn't going to settle for just anything. Sometimes we'll just take the first thing that comes along and we'll give God credit for it. When God really wants us to go to a Gethsemane somewhere and lay our soul out before the Lord and agonize and travail and believe and pray and hope for and not take no for an answer and not settle for second best or something less, but believe for the very thing that God wants to put in our lives. Oh, somebody give the God a hand. praise. You see, a child would have removed her shame, but a man-child would have brought her honor. Hallelujah. That's why she wanted a man-child. I've been ashamed so long. I could just settle for having my shame removed, but I want more than that. I want more than that. Lord, you put me through. I've been through this. I've been through this. I've gone. It's been dark. It's been dark. It's been heavy. It, I've struggled. I've fought. I've battled. i battled. No one knows the agony. No one knows the battle. No one can get close enough to me to share the secret of my soul or to know what was going on inside of me. No one knows the deep ang- uh, uh, anguish and, and, and sorrow and heaviness of heart that I've had. God I paid for this blessing with my trial with my agony. Don't settle. I'm not settling. I don't want just my shame removed. I want honor. I want honor for what I've gone through. Bring me honor. Bring me honor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God took Hannah's agony. God Hannah's one little person, one little woman in all of Israel, one little person with a little difficulty. And other people just passed by and thought, well, that's her lot in life. No hope of taking it any further. That's what she's going to get. That's just the way it is. That's, that's the way the lottery came up for her. She's going to be barren. She's just barren. Uh, and they would have just passed her by and thought nothing of it. They didn't know, they didn't know inside the boiling agony, and the great, great, great need great need, great need. It was not a need that her husband could answer for her or that anyone she knew could help her with or answer for her. If there had been a cure, if there had been a remedy, she would have tried everything and all of it in order to have come to this place. But there was nothing but to turn to God, to turn to God. The Bible says she poured out her spirit, her soul in agony. She poured it out in agony. It was a private agony. She thought a private agony, a private moment, but it was overseen by a passerby who happened to be the high priest who just happened to be going by and saw her travailing, this mother, this would-be mother of Israel travailing in prayer. What is it you need from God? What is it you need from God? You need something from God. Amen. He's speaking to your heart this morning. Amen. There's something there. You need something from God. But are you willing to go to the Gethsemane where God can meet you? Are you willing to go there in travail? Are you willing to pour out your soul and give him your heart and say, God, 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 I've got to have an answer. I've got to have an answer for my soul. Hallelujah. God took that little woman's trial and gave her something far greater than a one-off for herself. Something so much bigger than just answering her own little personal prayer in need. Hallelujah. He used that trial and that woman and that pressure and that agony and that build-up that got her where she needed to be with God. To bring at the right time, at the right time, the timing was perfect. To bring that man child into Israel that would become the great priest prophet Samuel that he was. It came at the right time. It was perfect. The timing was perfect. Everything was as it should be. God has plans for your trials, He has plans for my trials. He has plans for our tests and the things that he brings us to. If he can bring you to it, he can bring you through it. Amen. Hallelujah! 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 So God used Hannah's agony to bring a greater blessing, not only to her, but to the entire nation. We have a very different story in the book of Job. You know the story of Job, and the story of Job is, is is a story with one great big question mark over it, the whole point of the 40-something chapters of Job. Just a big question mark, big question mark. Hallelujah. Job chapter 12, Job answered and said, no doubt but you are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. But I have understanding as well as you, and I'm not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not such things as these? I am as one mocked of his neighbor. Who calleth upon God, and he answereth him, and the just, uh, and the just upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised, in the thought of him that is at ease. The tabernacles of robbers prosper And they that provoke God are secure into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. That was Job early on in his trial. At one point in his trial when he was hammered from within and from without with the great unsolvable questions, the great mysteries of life. Not only had he gone over and over and over the details of his difficulties in his own mind and in his own self that in one day he lost everything, that that everything was revoked, all the blessings of God were revoked. And despite all that he had done in the righteousness of his heart and mind to to stop those things from happening, they happened anyway. Uh, He he gave sacrifices, amen. Uh, He offered sacrifices over himself and over his children to prevent the bad things that could happen and the judgment of God that could happen. He went to church. He paid his tithes. He lived for God. He witnessed. He, he prayed. He, he fasted. He, he, he tried to live a righteous life. He was deep down inside concerned about being right with God. And yet, still, the unthinkable happens. That right. That's right. tomorrow that we gave no thought to suddenly is here. And with it, doom and gloom and despair and negativity and depression. Where can you find a friend in a difficult time like this? He had friends. They, they couldn't help him. They thought they had the answers. They thought they knew. Amen. You see, that's the thing that we do. We think we, oh, we know. We know. I know what somebody needs to be told. such so, it's so, so, so happened. I know why it happened. So it so happened to somebody. Well, I know why it happened. And I know what they need to hear. And I know what they need to be told. Do you? Hallelujah. God keeps some things to himself. And in all of our wisdom, we don't have the answers. Job said, look, I'm, I'm no different from you. I, I, I believe. I'm, I have a, I'm a man of understanding. I believe all these things. And, and now look at this situation. We see here robbers are prospering. And, and, and God prospers the hand of wicked people, and, 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 and yet here I try to live for God, and I got nothing. I'm not left here on an ash pile covered with sores and boils, and and, and, and and I don't even have a wife that loves me anymore, and just dogs come and lick my wounds, and that's all that cares for me, and, and what can I say? Where's the answer? So the whole long book of Job is this big question this big fat fat question why 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 and then suddenly in the end god turns it all around you know in the end god turned it all around and gave him many times more in his last days than he had in his former days gave him more children than he had formerly and gave him extended life for a hundred years or so more longer than he had and in chapter 42 Job's final answer is this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak and I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the, by the hearing of the ear but now mine eye See it. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Until, and you may stand, I'm closing, I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Until we have faced the one garden, we can never successfully meet the other one. We have to go through these questions in our life. When it came down to it, Job must have, must have been stripped away from every point of security, self-affirmation, self-identity. You see, we are identified but by, by everything that pertains to us, yeah. by the things we hold, by the things we own, by the things we've gained, by the laudations and the commendations of others, of society, and by our own self-education through the experiences of life. That are, those are things that identify us. And to some measure, we always are more or less secure by what we have accumulated in the round total of all of these things to ourselves. We are self-identified and secure in some measure in all of these things. But can God really show himself to us when so much of this stuff is in front of us and in our way? And people think that prosperity comes from God, and is evidence of their righteous stature and standing of the Lord. And they often think in terms of cause and effect that because I did such and such a thing, I was rewarded in such and such a way. But it is not so clear as that in life. And sometimes cause and effect gets upended and turned upside down on its head. The robbers prosper and the righteous suffer. There's no cause and effect there. We can't we can't associate anything. You see, that's why we can't see God. Because we think we know what works to get us to God. But they become our blinders, you see. They become our security blanket. And it hides us from the real knowledge the personal God who can only get close to us in our own unique Gethsemane, a Gethsemane of God. Job finally was able to say, I've heard about you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. Oh, hallelujah. Let's pray. This altar is open for prayer.